0: Hi, you guys. Welcome back. Um, today, Dean's going to discuss um, the a little bit, little bit difficult topic of Jacob and Esau in Romans nine. When you're in Romans nine and and you know you read the passages there about Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. It's it's kind of like a oh wow, <laughs> you know. And atheists really struggle with this passage as well. And so I think it's good for us as Christians to understand it more fully for ourselves. Obviously, um, and it's also good for us to be able to give a defense of the gospel because. God, God loves all of mankind. And, um, and, and sometimes people take that scripture out of context and um, make it say something it's not saying. And so I think you'll really, really enjoy um, how Dean unpacks this passage, how he gives the the history to this passage, how he goes and ties in other scriptures. Um, it's really important when we're doing Bible study that we don't isolate scriptures like that and um, it's kind of a bad habit we have is isolating scriptures and not taking into account the rest of the Word of God on on those issues. And so that's just something that's really important to Dean. As you'll notice in all of his teachings that he really tries to bring in the whole counsel of God's Word New Testament Old Testament history Bible history biblical history whatever um, just to get the whole meaning the whole counsel um, and not isolating scriptures or even isolating chapters in the Bible so Romans 9 is also kind of an isolated chapter and um, as you've already been learning through this series that there's a whole lot more to Romans 9 than Romans 9 right there's other scriptures that help explain it and help us understand it Well, same with this particular 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 story of Jacob and Esau, um, you're going to understand it better uh, for yourself and also better be able to explain it to someone who has a misunderstanding of God's justice and um, His love. And so um, I, I really encourage you to listen. I encourage you to get out your Bible. You're going to really enjoy this, and um, it's going you're going to love it. I loved it. And so um, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you get a lot out of it. Um, also, just a little funny side note. <laughs> um, you are going to notice that a few times that Dean um, accidentally interchanges the name Isaac when he meant to say Jacob. Um, so that's just kind of one one of Dean's quirks that sometimes he accidentally interchange his names. He might mean to say Abraham and he said Noah. Um, so you'll notice that in different messages. Um, it's just one of his quirks. It's the way God, one of the ways, obviously God uses many ways to keep us humble, humble as Christians. And uh, that's, that's just one of those ways. <laughs> so um, bear with him and bear with your pastors when they do the same. Um, I've heard lots of pastors make these similar kind of things, or even heard pastors who will make statements that they really didn't make mean to make it sound the way it sounded, right? I've gone up to um, my pastor before and just like, why did you even say that? That's not even in the Bible. And the pastor will be like, "Uh, I didn't, I did, I say that? And I'm like, yeah, you did say that. (laughs) And of course they're embarrassed because they didn't intend to say it. And, and then, you know, so Uh, Just note that it's uh, something that's not intentional. Um, It's just an accidental flub of words. So you'll get a good laugh out of that. But more importantly, you're going to get a lot of uh, good meat of the Word of God today. A lot of um, deep theological understanding in, in this study. So join us.
1: Okay. Romans 9, verse 10. We're going to talk about Jacob and Esau. He says, and for this is the word of promise, about this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, in other words, he's tying these two things together. So he's saying like, as, just as this stuff that we were just talking about, there's also this, right? Not only Isaac and Ishmael, but also now Jacob and Esau. It says, not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had done nothing, good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve, serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Okay, so there, there is... And and that's the thing. That's that's the difficult thing with Romans. When you read like just those three or four scriptures that we read, there is so much that's involved in that. Okay. And again, we're going to see two things. Number one, it was through God's sovereign choice. Now, can God choose a line through which he's going to uh, send the Messiah? Yes. Can he choose a people in, through whom he's going to display his glory? Yes. Can he change that if he wants to? Yes, he can. And that's what Paul is saying. And that's what the Jews were upset about because, no, we're the chosen ones. And you're bringing in these upstarts. You're bringing in these people that we don't like. And we're mad about it and stuff. And you know again, this was God's plan all along looking uh, um, like Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter three, you'll see the genealogies that lead to Christ from Adam through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way through Christ. It was his plan through this line that he was going to bring Jesus. Now, if you'll look through those lines, you'll see that there were good kings, that there were evil kings. And that there were good kings. Like there were kings like Manasseh and Rehoboam who were wicked, wicked men. There are also people like uh, David and Josiah and, and Boaz and things who were good people. And so it, it's a really interesting thing that God's plans prevailed. Okay. But he did not. He did not choose Uh, and ordain the actions of the people through whom he worked his plans. Do you see that? Manasseh was a very wicked, evil king. God didn't make his choices for him. God didn't say, no, this line that's going to bring Jesus is going to be only good kings. Okay? Manasseh was a wicked, wicked man. Rehoboam was a wicked, wicked man. So in this line that led through Jesus, there were both good men and there were wicked men. God's plan prevailed, but he did not ordain the actions of anyone along those lines. You see that? He did not have puppets that were going to do, you know, exactly, you know, everything that, you know what I'm saying? And this is the wisdom and of God. And and that's the problem in the church because of these teachings is that we think that we we make it seem like God doesn't think, he doesn't plan, he doesn't he doesn't you know, he everything he he planned everything before he began the earth and now he's not doing anything. Now everything's just walking along. This next breath that you take is going to be because he ordained it. When I sneeze, it's going to be because he ordained it. When I blink my eyes, it's going to be because he ordained it. If I'm wicked to my dog and I kick my dog, it's going to be because God ordained it. If I love my wife, it's going to be because God, God ordained it. The things of this world, murder, rape, destruction, um, all these things ordained by God. No, it's not. In the Bible is so full and again guys if we read the bible we have understanding the bible shows that how god is able, able as the master chessman to make sure that his will will get done without using people as puppets without making your choices for you with with giving you free will he is still able to accomplish his desires and this, rather than limiting the sovereignty of God, in my mind, it exalts it because He is so much more powerful than some kind of micromanager who who programs everything to happen exactly the way that He wants to happen. And oh, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. How you pull back the curtain and there's this guy. He's doing the levers and oh, it's got to be no. God can you let allow men to have free will and yet still accomplish His purposes. And I think that that's, I think it's awesome. That makes me worship Him a lot more. God, again, did not create robots. We cannot truly love Him with all of our hearts if we don't have choice. And once again, the Bible is full of commands. How can you obey or disobey a command unless you have free will? And why would God say do this or don't do this if it doesn't matter anyway? If he's already programmed us to do or not to do what he wants us to do. And again, did God program before the foundation of the earth everyone who was going to go to hell and everyone who was going to be saved? Did God program for Charles Manson to do the things that he did? Did God program Hitler to do? To do what he was going to do. All for his glory. That is a lie from hell. God is love. And he he would never do this. God commands us to be like him. We were made in his image. And so, again, man is fallen. And so we're not perfect. But we hate evil because he put it in our hearts to hate evil. So is it that he put it in our hearts to hate evil while he himself is evil? No. And this is what Paul is saying over and over. And this is the message that the Bible teaches us. And so these doctrines that teach us otherwise are lies from hell. Okay. So, again, God, and think about, you know, God, all the prophecies of the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus. But there had to be a vehicle for those prophecies to flow through, right? There had to be a vehicle for the, for Jesus to be born the Messiah. And that was the line of kings. And that was Israel as a people, okay? Um, and again, uh, he says... Um, he says that the older will the older will serve the younger. And again, we see that all over the Bible. Again, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the younger, and yet Ishmael served him. Jacob and Esau. Es- Esau was the older, yet Jacob became the greater, right? And even Pharaoh and the Israelites. It is used in it as an example of those who are being oppressed by the stronger, by the greater one, and how how God, through choosing them, He overcame the stronger one. And we'll look at Pharaoh next week and and how God hardens hearts and things. Um, Turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at some more examples of the older serving the younger and their reactions to it. In Luke chapter 15, in Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son and i think we all know the story of the prodigal son even unbelievers know the story of the prodigal son it's about the you know the father had two sons and the younger one wanted his 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 inheritance and you know the father gave it to him and he went out and squandered it and spent it on riotous living and prostitutes and things like that until he had nothing and and then he came back to the father right and uh so everyone knows that story if you don't start in verse 11 and, and read it for yourselves um but in verse 25, this is when the youngest son came to his senses and he, he says, you know what? I'll go back to my father, tell him I'm not worthy to be his son and I'll just be one of his slaves or whatever. And in verse uh, there's, let's look at the uh, verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. Look at this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And again, this is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of God's love for whoever will repent. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now, this is where most of us stop. Right. This is great story of of salvation and redemption about how, you know, one of the sons came back to the father and was saved and and things like that. And he threw this party for him, gave him a ring and, you know, celebrated with um, barbecue and things like that and stuff. And it's an awesome story. And again, most of us stop at that point. But that is not where it stops. And I think, honestly, that the greater point is what continues in this. And so in verse 25, it says, Now this older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, listen, I mean, think of the, the sarcasm that would be in his voice when he said this. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always always been with me and all that is mine is yours. Remember the inheritance, the rights of the older son? But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now why was Jesus telling this parable and why did he not just stop at the father um, blessing the younger son for coming back to them? He was trying to show them something you jews are the older son and the gentiles are the younger son and i am receiving them to myself and this is their attitude why have you blessed this son of yours who who's lived with prostitutes spent your money on on worthless things and stuff and i've been serving you faithful and this is exactly their attitude and this is why many of them did not receive jesus as their messiah Anyone that will accept this filthy Gentiles, I'm not going to follow them. Remember the prostitute that was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair? And what are they thinking? If this man knew what kind of sinner this was, he would not have anything to do with her. This was their attitude towards Gentiles. Turn to another place. In Jonah chapter 4. In Jonah chapter 4 we all know the story of Jonah how God cho- called him to go to the Ninevites and 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 uh preach to them and Jonah's like nope I'm going to Tarshish and God's like nope you're going to Nineveh and God wrecks his boat has him swallowed by fish and stuff like that and you know you know all the story and spits him out and Jonah goes and it's so funny the whole you read the book of Jonah it's only like four chapters I mean you you should really read it it's really it's awesome because it just shows Jonah's attitude and how like, okay, I'll I'll go, I'll go preach to him 30 days. God's going to wipe you out. And that's his, that's his message to him. You know, that's, that's what he shares with them and stuff. And yet through this, it says that there was this massive revival and even, you know, the animals are getting saved. Everybody's getting saved. Everybody's repenting and stuff. And, so, what's Jonah's reaction? God, you're so awesome that you would forgive these people of their sins. Look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Actually, look at chapter 3, verse uh, 10. It says, When God saw their deeds, when they were turning from their sins and repenting, in sackcloth and everything, when God saw their deeds, that they turned away from their wicked way, and when they turned from their wicked way, Then God relented. Wait, I thought God had already planned everything from before the foundation of the earth. Wait, so God planned that he was going to destroy Nineveh, and then he changed his mind? Wait, God can't change his mind. He always set everything in stone, right? What about when God was sorry that he made Saul king? These are theological questions that you have to answer. God was sorry that he created man, and so he sent a flood upon the earth. How can God be sorry of something that He planned from all eternity? See, we make God a caricature, right? We make God this one-dimensional being that has to serve our needs, that has to do the things that we want. And that's what the Jews were doing. And they were angry at God because he wasn't doing it the way that they wanted him to do it. He wasn't doing it the way that they expected him to do it. He wasn't, it, he wasn't doing it the way that they had been taught all their lives that he was to do it. It says, verse 10 again, when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented. He changed his mind. Mm. concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. Did God declare that He was going to do it? What is a declaration? I am going to bring this destruction on you. I am going to do it. That is a declaration. A declaration is not like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to, yeah, I don't know. I might wipe out Nineveh. I, I, I might go golfing. You know, I don't know. A declaration is, this is something that I'm going to do. But, because of their ways, he relented, or he changed his mind. Hmm. He says, he relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Why is that written in Scripture? Because he was going to do something, and he didn't. It's simple. It's plain. Unless you try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, was Jonah, was Jonah rejoicing because of God's goodness? Was Jonah going, man, you are an awesome God. You are so, so forgiving, so long-suffering. Your grace and your mercy just blows me away because of your goodness and how, how quick you are to forgive. Verse 1, it says, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, in other words, in order that this wouldn't happen, in order that the Ninevites wouldn't forgive them, because I knew you were going to do this. In order for that all not to happen, I tried to run away. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in love and kindness, and one who relents or changes his mind concerning calamity. So, again, Jonah is a picture of the Israelites who did not receive Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't want these stinking, disgusting Gentiles being saved. Matter of fact, they'd have been quite happy. It's just like John and James wanted to rain fire down on the Samaritans. They'd have been happy to rain fire down on all of them. Because they were unworthy. And because they they didn't have the law. And because they didn't have righteousness and all these other things. And they weren't following God. And it's true. But God in His mercy reached out to them. And they could not understand that. And they could not wrap their minds around it. Turn to Matthew 20, another parable that Jesus gave them to show them what was going to happen, or what was in fact happening. I mean, again, it blew their minds that Jesus went to the Samaritans, you know. How can you go to these disgusting Samaritans? In Matthew 20, Jesus gives a parable in verse 1. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agree- agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle on the marketplace. So he goes out in the first part of the day in the early morning, hires some people to go into his vineyard. He goes out the third hour, so about, you know, three or four hours later. And, and he says to those in verse four, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So notice he says, whatever is right, I will give you. In verse 5, again, he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. This, Now, think about it. it, it most of our work days are 8 hours. This is 11 hours, right? About the 11th hour, he went out and found, found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? Then he said to them, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go out into the venue too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those those hired first came, they thought that they would... Now, again, think of this. He's doing this on purpose. He's paying the last ones, the ones that came at the eleventh hour. He's paying them first in the sight of the ones that had been there all day. Verse 10, when those first hired came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he, look what he says in verse 13, But he answered and said to them, To one of them friend uh, now again when they first came he said if you work for me I'm going to give you a denarius so he is not unjust in what he is giving them right what is the problem the problem is their expectations right he can give them whatever he wants to give them but he had promised to to give them a denarius and a denarius he gave to them so where is the problem. He said in verse 12 again, these last men have worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne. Do you see that equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered them and said to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man, excuse me, the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm, in, because I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Back to Romans chapter 9. And this is exactly what he's talking about in verses 14 and 15. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I, com- I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, in other words, your religious works, your keeping of the law, your, your tabernacle and your sacrifices and all that. He says, it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God's saying, I can have mercy on who I want to have mercy, and you can be mad at it all you want to. But I have every right to do with my own what I will. And if I want to give them the same blessings that I'm giving you, you have no right to say anything about it. Because it's all mine. And that's exactly what was happening. The Jews were mad. And even the Jewish Christians were mad that the Gentiles were being treated equally as well as them. You see that? (laughs) Again, it's very plain. So, um, back to, back to Romans 9, it says, um, for though the twins were not yet born and had done not had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. And again, I, I saw a Calvinistic preacher had a teaching that said everyone believes in predestination. Well, we do, but it it's the terms of it, right? It's and and that's the thing with words. Uh, it it's like okay, it is a word. I believe that God does have foreknowledge, and He can choose. That Jesus is going to come through the line of David. it's going to come through the line of Abraham and things like that. But it does not mean that he makes people's individual choices for them. Again, what we're talking about in Romans 9 is we're talking about nations. We're talking about people groups to represent God in the earth. We're not talking about individuals per se. We're talking about people groups. So... In, in verse 12, it was said to her, um, the young, the older will serve the younger. So again, that is God's choosing. That is God, uh, God's um, predestinating. And again, predestination is always to service. It's always for a purpose. Okay? And in verse 13, Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. So you've got basically those two verses. Okay? The one is about God's choosing and the other is about Esau and his reaction to God's choosing. The older brother, just like we saw in Galatians, the older persecuted the younger. And we're going to see that again in all three of these cases, how Ishmael mocked, how uh, how uh, Esau persecuted Jacob. And we're going to see next week about how Pharaoh persecuted the Israelites. So... um and he says, just as it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. In Malachi chapter 1. Now, uh, in Malachi chapter 1, we're going to see that this was written a thousand years after Jacob and Esau had lived. So, in Malachi chapter 1, it says, the oracle of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you, loved you? how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now, again, this was never written. This was never spoken while they were alive. This was spoken a thousand years after they were both dead. Okay? He's saying, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, um, hold your place right there, because we're going to look, if I can find the scripture references, Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 14. Hold your place in Malachi, we're going to look at Luke chapter 14. Now God says, um, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Now, obviously God loved Jacob, but did he hate Esau? Esau in the way that we think of as hatred, and in Luke chapter um, Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty-six, we're going to see what God calls hatred. Starting in verse twenty-five, now large crowds were going alongside with him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate," his own father and mother and wife and children. Well, now what is, it's one of the commandments, love your father and your mother, right? And if you, if you don't love them, you can be stoned, right? He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. So now is Jesus telling you to hate your own life also? Is he telling you to hate yourself? Mistreat yourself? Um, You know, all that stuff. He says, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you see that? So Jesus is not saying literally that he hated Esau. He's not telling us to hate our mother and father. He wants us to love our mothers and fathers, right? Um, Turn to Matthew chapter 5. He's saying, in com- "Excuse me," he's saying in comparison, right? In comparison to him, we're supposed to hate everything. In other words, we're supposed to love him supremely over all things. So he's not saying hatred in the sense of which we think about it. He's saying in comparison, and in Matthew chapter five, verse forty-three. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, again, does God want us to hate our enemies? He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what will be the result of that? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he, God, this is how God feels about his enemies causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So again, when he says, Isaac I loved and Jacob is, I hated, he is not. he's saying by comparison. Okay? So again, we interpret the Bible with the Bible, not our own preconceived notions. Now, in saying that, that does not mean that God was not angry with Esau. And we're going to see that when God said that about Esau in Romans 9, he's not talking about the person. He's talking about the nation. And over and over and stuff, God would always talk about people, the kingdom of David, the king, you know, all these things. And he would use a person as a representative of the nation. And that's exactly what he's doing here. And so, again, what we're seeing is, number one, God's sovereign choosing. And number two, how they treated the the older, how they persecuted the younger. And in uh, Malachi 1, verse 1 again, he says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Je- Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. Again, God didn't hate Esau, just like with Ishmael. God could have easily say, said, um, Isaac I loved, but Ishmael I hated. But God didn't hate Ishmael. In other words, as matter of fact, he took care of him and blessed him and made him a great nation. But he's saying in comparison to Isaac, in comparison to Jacob. He says, What's well, not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, and I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation, and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. And we're gonna look at some scriptures that tell us why God was that way, why he was angry with them. Turn to Amos. Chapter one. The book of Amos is right after Joel. If you look in your table of contents, you'll be able to find it. In my book it's in one thousand ninety-eight page. Okay? And then Amos Verse one or chapter one, verse eleven. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom. And for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Look at this. Why? Because he pursued his brother with the sword, while he stifled his compassion, his anger also tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So why was God angry at Edom or Esau? Because he persecuted Israel. Right? Look at, uh, turn to the next book in the Bible, which is Obadiah. The book of Obadiah, I think, is the shortest book in the Bible. And in chapter 1, in the whole book of Obadiah, is is God's speaking his displeasure with Edom or Esau. In verse 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom or Esau. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small, Esau, among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? So what was the deal with Esau? Pride, right? Didn't, you know, he says, though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Look at verse 10. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will, be, you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof and on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were one of them. Okay? So God is punishing Esau or Edom because of his treatment of his brother. And that's the thing. God, and that's what Paul was trying to speak to the people in the book of romans again the book of romans was written to to believers who lived in rome both jewish and gentile believers and they were fighting with one among uh, with one another and he's saying this is the purpose of god not that you war against your brother because he received the same thing as you but that you bless your brother and that you as one support each other, love each other, lay down your lives for each other. And that wasn't happening. And that was God's expectation for Ishmael. And it was God's expectation for Esau and possibly even, even Pharaoh. Look how many chances God gave Pharaoh. Look how many opportunities Pharaoh had to soften his heart and, and, Bless the people of Israel, right? Even when Israel went out, what happened? The people gave them their gold and their earrings and their jewelry, right? And stuff. And that's what God wanted to happen, but it didn't happen. Now, turn to uh, turn to Genesis chapter five, twenty-five. We're going to look at the story of Jacob and Esau. Even though you've heard it before, we we want to go over it again just to refresh ourselves. Okay because again god didn't just hate esau and because he hated him he's like i'm going to curse you right there was reasons behind all of it there was cause and effect everything with god is cause and effect amen okay genesis chapter 25 verse 19 it says Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If this is so, why am I... If it is so, then why am I in this way? Now, again, she had she knew of the promises of Abraham, right? She knew that the line was going to come through her. And she's like, and this is like us too, right? We as believers, when things get hard for us, we're like, well, if God really wants to use us, why is he letting all this bad stuff happen to me? It's called life. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, you will be faced with life. You will be faced with hard circumstances, Okay. He says, uh so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her days to be were when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau, which means red. And afterward, his brother came forth with his with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, or heel grabber. And Isaac was sixty years old when he get, when she gave birth to them. Now we know the story. Isaac, Isaac was not the best of people, right? He he was a heel grabber. He was a supplanter. He was a um. It basically, he was a con artist. So he was not the best of people that God would choose to use. And yet there was something about him that he would wrestle with God and not let go of him until God blessed him. And that's the whole thing. God looks to the heart is, who is hungry. And we all come to God. We are all imperfect. We all have massive, massive problems like Isaac. And God has to have us wrestle with him. And that's the thing. God is blessed by those who will wrestle with him, who see their faults, who see their problems. And they will wrestle with him and say, God, I'm not going to let go of you until you change my nature, until you change my character and make me the kind of person you want to be. Right? Um, verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And again, what do we do as men? We judge by outward things, right? We love the things that look manly. We love the things that look successful. We we love the things that look like they, they got it all together. Right, what does God look to? He looks to the poor, to the broken, to the naked, to the ones who know they're weak, who know that without Him they are nothing. And even our churches, we love going to churches that have the appearance of success, don't we? We love going to churches that have the full-piece band, that have the that had the lights, that have the that had all the smoke and the mirrors. We love the preachers that have have the the immaculate suits and ties and, and have it all together and have everything wired. That's not what God looks to. God looks to the heart. He looks to the one who is seeking for him with all their hearts. And the problem is, is again, we, especially in America in the 21st century, we love the appearance. Just like Saul. We want a king that's head and shoulders above everybody else. We want someone that looks good on the outside. Even Samuel, when he was, when God had rejected Saul and he was looking for the new king, Samuel looks at the sons of of Jesse and he says, he sees the firstborn son. He says, man, this guy's got it. Surely this is the one. And God says, no, I've rejected him. And he went through all the sons and he's like, you got no one else? And the father of Jesse is like, oh, well, I got one more son and he's out in the field tending his sheep. You don't want him, right? But that's exactly the one that God chose. God chooses the weak. Who are the chosen? Who are the elect ones? The ones who are weak. The ones who are nobodies. The ones who don't have it all together, the ones who need Jesus and they know they need Jesus, that's the ones God chooses. And hopefully, we'll be doing some teaching on that. It says uh, verse twenty nine: When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Or wait, verse twenty eight: He says, "Now Isaac, and, and Isaac, the father, loved Esau more." And how many of us, how many of you guys out there have been rejected by the world? Even by people in your family sometimes. God looks to those ones. And he looks to the broken, to the needy. It says, Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I'm famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So it was a lentil stew. If you know anything about lentils, they're red. And so the stew was red. And again, that's the same meaning of Esau, Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau, look at this, despised his birthright. Do you see that? So Esau Jacob or Esau sold his birthright. Um now the birthright according to Wikipedia, since we're not we don't do things the Jewish way necessarily anymore. But the birthright had to do, according again to Wikipedia, the birthright had to do with both position and inheritance. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited, listen to this, the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of the father. And so isn't that what was happening in the book of Romans? The, The Jews who were the the first son who were given the birthright, they were losing it. And that birthright was going to the younger son or the believers who received Jesus as the Messiah. It says, according to Deuteronomy 21 verse 17, um, the one who received the birthright was also entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. You see that turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And so apparently Esau thought it was no big deal just to give his birthright away. Maybe he was, maybe he didn't even mean it. Maybe he's saying, yeah, I'll give you my birthright. And he had no intention of actually doing it. Or maybe he did mean it and it really didn't mean anything to him. But let's look and see what God thought about it. Turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 He says again by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 15, he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Look at this in 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. I mean, is that amazing or not? It's not like Esau was actually going to die, right? Esau, Abraham was the wealthiest man in the world. Isaac inherited that wealth. Jacob inherited that wealth. And maybe they weren't quite as wealthy as Abraham was, but they were still pretty wealthy. Do you think that Esau would have died if he hadn't have gotten that bowl of soup? Could he not have had a servant make him a bowl of soup? His mom would have made him a bowl of soup. But he sold his birthright for a single bowl of soup. It says says, look at this in verse 17. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Do you see that? And so... His birthright didn't mean a lot to him, but it meant everything to God because God had set up that birthright system. They set it up again as a type and shadow, right? But it was very important to him. And then, uh, oh, look at at in Hebrews 12 verse 5 because I think it ties in also very well. In verse 5, he says, Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so again, what happened, I believe, with Jacob and Esau is, is God was disciplining Esau part of what the things that happened. It was God's discipline on him and stuff. But instead of, and it's again, it was just like, um, um, Cain and Abel got how, how Uh, Cain was jealous of Abel and wanted to kill him. And again, there's another picture of the older and the younger and Cain being the older, but, you know, God received the the sacrifice of the younger and so Cain killed him. But what God, what did God try to do? He tried to, he says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and you will do well if you turn from this. God tried to get him to turn. God wanted him to, to receive what he said, right? God accepted uh, Abel's sacrifices and stuff, and God, his God's desire was Cain to live at peace with his brother, and to and to accept God's choosing, God's choice. But instead of doing that, what did Cain do? He killed his brother, right? And in the same way, God's wanting Esau to receive correction, to receive God's choice. But rather than doing that, he persecuted him right um and then uh was it let's see genesis chapter twenty seven so not only did did he sell his birthright. But we're going to see in chapter 27 that he sold his blessing as well, which the blessing of a father to the children you'll see in the Old Testament was a very, very serious thing. And it meant a lot. And uh, basically, we're just going to we're, we're going to see. I mean, we we know the story about how Isaac or um about how Jacob deceived his father and and got the blessing and actually stole it from him and stuff. But, you know, the whole point about it is is we don't really need to look at it, but the whole point is is again, Esau hated his brother. And the whole story of Ishmael and Isaac of Jacob and Esau and even of Pharaoh and Israelites was the older's brother, the older brother's response to the younger brother. And it was the response at that time showing the response of the Jews towards these this new Christianity to Jesus as their supposed Messiah. To This is their reaction to these things. They hated Jesus. They had Jesus put to death. And he was the son of God. And he was trying to show them that this is what God has meant all along. And yet they would have none of it. And um and in Numbers twenty through Deuteronomy fifteen it talks about how when the, the Israelites were on their way to the chosen land, Edom the Edomites or Esau would not let them pass through their land. They had to go miles and miles out of their way to get to the promised land and stuff. So again it shows um how the older persecuted the younger. And the whole thing is is that Judaism was being left behind. While the church was be was becoming God's vehicle and it had always been God's vehicle, God never God said, "I don't inhabit temples made by hands." He said that in the Old Testament, right All these things were never meant to be God's vehicle to show the world. It was those who were circumcised in their hearts who believed like Abraham by faith who weren't who didn't count their salvation based upon the bulls that they sacrificed and based upon keeping their sideburns long and and wearing the phylacteries on their heads and the prayer shawls and all that kind of stuff. That was not their salvation. David even said, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired. What you have desired is a a pure heart. And so they were doing everything outwardly. Again, Jesus said to them that they were whitewashed tombs. How on the outside, you're all white and clean and you look great. But inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones, full of corruption. And that's what Judaism was. And Judaism was being replaced by what God had planned all along. And that was a people who were the bride of Christ, who were circumcised in heart, whose Sabbath was Jesus himself. And they had entered into that Sabbath rest who didn't need sacrifices of bulls and goats to be pleasing to God, but who had been washed by the blood of the Son of God. All that was fading away to be replaced forevermore by the better that had come. And that better was Jesus Christ. And again, um, turn to John chapter 8. We're looking at their... Attitudes towards what was happening, to what was what, to what was going on at that time. John chapter eight again, we saw this uh, either last week or the week before, but we'll look at it again in chapter thir- in John eight verse thirty one. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed to him, "If you continue in my word, what, you see that now." Number one, he's talking to Jews who had believed him. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So what does that mean about someone who doesn't continue in his word? It means you're no longer a disciple, right? He says, if you continue in my word, not about if you started well, if you started believing, if you started doing all the right things, but then you're like, eh, this is not working for me. I'm going to go, I'm I'm going to forget all this stuff and go on.'" He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered, now again, who is this? Jews who had believed him, right? How do you how are people saved? By believing, by faith, by believing what Jesus said. He says in verse thirty-three, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Again, Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is not a physical kingdom. They wanted a physical king to sit on the throne of David to kill the Romans and to make them great again as a nation. Jesus is like, I'm not about that at all. Jesus is about the heart. Jesus has always been about the heart. Jesus will always be about the heart. Jesus is not about a physical location. He is not about being a physical king and sitting upon a physical throne. Jesus is king now. Jesus is Lord now. Right? He says, "'Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever.' So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, Jews after the flesh, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. As it is you're seeking to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham would not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, "We were born of, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God." Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not I did not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word." Listen to this. Again, these are things that got Jesus killed. We preach a gospel today that's just love, 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 and would never get Jesus killed, or anybody killed for that matter. Jesus, the things that he said were revolutionary. The gospel is an offense. Even today, the true gospel is an offense. People do not want to hear it. People do not want you to tell them that they're, that they're things that they have believed in, they're the things that they have leaned on, their idols and their false belief will save them. They want to just believe, oh, we're all going to go to heaven. God's going to forgive everybody, you know, and it doesn't matter which religion you serve. And it doesn't matter if you pray to Jesus, you don't live like it. God. Everyone's going to go to heaven. The true gospel rubs people the wrong way and they don't want to hear it. And this world is filled with darkness, filled with wickedness. And and we, the church, are preaching a gospel that will not save anyone. It's just come to Jesus just as you are. He'll accept you. You don't have to repent. You don't have to do anything. He's going to do it all. You just have to just come to church, pay your tithe. It'll be okay. He'll stamp your ticket. You'll be good to go. You don't have to change. He loves you. He don't see your sins. He just sees the blood. It's all a lie. It says, verse 45, but because I speak, he's verse 44 again, you are of your father the devil. and You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you can't hear them because you're not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say you're a Samaritan and have a demon? You're a Gentile? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I don't seek my glory, but there's one who seeks seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, If I glorify myself, my glory, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. And you have not come to know him, but I do know him. And if I say that I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So again, this was in the Old Testament, right? It's always been there. It's always been a thread throughout the word of God. These are the people that God seeks. These are the people that God chooses. Those who receive him by faith, who receive Jesus as their Messiah. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And now, let's be clear about it. They didn't pick up rocks to throw at him. Whenever the Jews stoned somebody, they picked up stones. And the purpose wasn't just to leave a knot on somebody's head or or to make them have a bad day. It was to kill them. So when they picked up stones and wanted to throw them at Jesus, they wanted to kill him. Okay? Just to be clear. Um, Turn to Matthew 23. So again, we're looking at the response of the older brother or at the Jews who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And even at a lot of the Jewish believers who received Jesus as their Messiah, but they didn't want this these upstart Gentiles to be a part of, of of God's family. They they liked just they liked being the only son, right? They didn't want this other son coming in and and being an heir with them. They wanted to be the only ones. But God's saying that's not the way it's going to be. You're going to have a brother, and you're going to love your brother, and you too will be one, and out of the two of you, I am going to build my house. Okay? Matthew 23, verse 13 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now, As we read this, we'll we'll see that Jesus is speaking to the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and things like that. But remember, the people followed the Pharisees, the scribes. And as the Pharisees and the scribes believed, that's how the multitude of the Jews in Jesus' day believed. Now, even though people were getting saved, and it seems like a lot of people, and it was a lot of people, in comparison, it was only a drop in the bucket, okay? And the vast majority of them then, as now, rejected Jesus as their Messiah. That's why they were all saying, crucify him. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel on land and sea to make one proselyte. When he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, how many churches are doing that today, right? Oh, Just just sow your seed, you know, just sow a seed of a thousand dollars. Just sow a seed of five hundred dollars and God's going to bless you. God's going to give you that because we swear by the gold of the temple. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men! Which is more important, the gold of the temple that sang, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever so, you see, over and over, just the Pharisees and stuff. Uh, verse 25: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Remember when the Pharisees were mad at Jesus and his disciples because they didn't wash their hands? It was all part of their religion. It was all, they they had to meticulously wash everything, make sure there was no germs and stuff like that. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and then the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, just like we talked about. He says, um, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men. Your outward works, your outward religion, it all looks great. You put on a suit and tie and you go to church every Sunday. You look great. You help old ladies across the street. But do you ever crack your Bible? Do you ever spend any time in prayer? Do you truly love God? He says, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we'd been living in their days, in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Remember, remember again, these are the people that wanted to stone Jesus to death for what he was saying, right? But we would not have done that. Verse 30, and you say, if we'd been living... Uh, It says, again, if we had been living in the days of the fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. And again, this is so different than the Hollywood Jesus. This is so different than most of our churches, right? Oh, well, oh, Jesus would never say that. I remember um, there was uh, a series that came on television uh, about the disciples and the apostles and stuff, and you know, is showed John the Baptist. And w- one thing about all the movies and stuff is they they pretty much show John the Baptist as he was. You know, they don't uh, they don't try to soften that because you know you can't really right. With Jesus, there's so much that He said about love and and forgiveness and stuff that you can forget about all these other things and and just soft code everything else and stuff. But with John the Baptist, there's just John the Baptist. He was only around for like six months, and you know he preached, "You Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come from the fleet, uh, the wrath to come and stuff." And so um, they can't they can't cover over all that and stuff. And jeez, uh, I can't remember why I was saying that. <laughs> Anyway, in verse thirty four he says, Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you will scourge in the synagogue and oh and the guy was saying saying that oh, I can't believe that they would portray, portray John the Baptist like that and so so angry and 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 unfilled with love and, and stuff. Well, hey, that's what the Bible says, right? And again John was saying that he was calling them stuff like that to get them to see themselves it was a mirror right the word of god is a mirror for us and god does not sugarcoat the mirror and 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 try to try to like um like snow white make it say you're the fairest of them all that's what calvinists say and that's what modern preachers say but that's not what god says and when he holds his word up to us it tells us the truth If you are living like a snake, he will say you are living like a snake. If you're an adulterer, God calls you an adulterer. He doesn't say, well, I just made a mistake, right? It was just an indiscretion. No, it was sin. And God does not sugarcoat it, and his word does not sugarcoat it, even though 21st century American churches and preachers sugarcoat it. God does not do that. He says verse 34 again. Therefore behold I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes some of them you will kill and crucify. The Old Testament's full of it. Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these prophets, most of them died. Most of them were martyred. All the New Testament apostles were martyred except for John. And and who were they originally killed by? It was by the Jews. We're going to see that. So therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Look at this in verse 25. So that upon you, you Jews, may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, look at this in verse 36. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And again, that happened in AD 70 when Titus came through Israel, through Jerusalem, and totally burned it to the ground, including the temple. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often, and now listen what he's saying when he just said to woe to you hypocrites, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Look what he says in 37. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. You see that? Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And again, who was it that persecuted the early church? It was the Jews. Over and over, who had Jesus crucified, it was the Jews they did it by the Romans, but it was them that talked the Romans into doing it, right over and over it was the Jews who persecuted the early church they wanted to stamp it out In acts thirteen verse thirty two this is after Paul becomes a believer and he's preaching um He's preaching, right? And where did Paul go when he when he started preaching? He would go to the synagogue on every Sabbath, and he would share the gospel with them. In the 32, it says, And we preach to you the good news, and this is Paul speaking, we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Who's the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that He raised up Jesus who is to be your Messiah, right? As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Talking about Jesus raising from the dead, right? Verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Again, what is he saying? Jesus have faith in Jesus your messiah your law will not save you only faith in Jesus will save you as your messiah therefore take heed so that the things spoken of the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you and again, there are so many churches that just, you know, they're like, well, the Old Testament for us was for a different time. You know, it has no meaning for us in the New Testament church. What is he saying right here? You better take heed to what the prophet said. And he's saying it in the New Testament, right? Verse 41, behold, you scoffers and and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Wait, I thought God just writes my name before the foundation of earth, uh, foundation of the world, why do I have to continue in anything? Can I just say a prayer and I'll be saved and, you know, it'll be good. He'll, uh, I have my insurance, my fire insurance, my get out of hell free card. No, he says continue in. They were urging them to continue in these things. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw that the crowds were, and again, it's, there's so many instances that we don't have time to go over it, but go through that, the New Testament, through the book of Acts and, through, you know, and just see how over and over and over, it talks about how the Jews persecuted, the Jews persecuted, the Jews persecuted. It says, but 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds that they were, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. What does that sound like the older brother? It says, and they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. What are they teaching? They're teaching the law. We don't need this. Jesus is not our Messiah. This thing Paul's saying is not true. We're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting today. They began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And again, over and over, it says that the word of God came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. God loves the Jews. We are not anti-Semitic. God loves the Jews and he wants them to be saved. But if any Jew is going to be saved, it's going to be by receiving Jesus as his personal Messiah and turning from his wicked ways. Right? It's not going to be through Judaism or through temple sacrifices or any other thing. Uh, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Listen to this. But since you repudiate it, in other words, you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Do you see that? Paul says, we came to you first. We gave you the first opportunity. Because of all the things that happened in the Old Testament. Because you were the people and that God first chose and stuff and sent the covenants and all these things that we read in Romans 9 in the early part of the chapters. You received the promises. You received all these things from God, the, the covenants and all these things and stuff. God has a heart tender towards you. And because of that, he sent the gospel to you first, right? Where did the gospel start out at? In Jerusalem, Right. And honestly, the gospel may have stayed in Jerusalem except for the persecution which drove it out of Jerusalem. So even in that, God is glorified and and is able to make His will happen, right? But it's by people's own choosing and by the choices that they make. And he says, because you've, you've proven yourself because you've rejected it and you've proven yourselves unworthy of it, we're going to go to the gentiles. So what's he saying? Because of your choices. Because you choose not to receive it, we're going to go to the gentiles. For the for verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a, and again, he's quoting from the old testament, I have placed you as a light for the gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Look at this. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, I'm going to include that scripture for the for the purpose of this, because that's a scripture that many Calvinists use to say, well, hey, these people had been appointed to eternal life. But just like we saw right there, and the whole um, context was those who received and those who rejected, right? So the ones who were considered worthy is the ones who received it. He's like, because you didn't receive it, we're going to go to the Gentiles. So the one, the Gentiles who received it were the ones that were considered worthy and had, become, and had been appointed to eternal life, okay? It wasn't that God chose them beforehand. It wasn't because God uh, from, you know, from again, from the beginning of the world said, eeny, meeny, miny, I'll choose you. Uh, any, many, mine? No, nope, not you. And so God did not arbitrarily choose anybody. The basis of this chapter is, the, uh, is based upon those who believed and those who rejected. Those who re- believed were appointed to eternal life. Those who rejected it were not. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Look at this again about the Jews. But the Jews incited the devout woman of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated, instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their city. So again, over and over, the Jews receive, refused to receive their Messiah. They had become the older brother. They had become Ishmael who mocked. They became Edom who persecuted. They became Pharaoh who, who wanted to subjugate. The people, to their will, and to use them, and ultimately to destroy them. Now turn to Romans nine, verse one, again, because again we want to uh, we want to stress that we're not being anti-Semitic. That we're not uh, because even in in medieval times they they mistreated Jews because the Jews had crucified Jesus, right? But look what Paul's attitude was then again in Romans 9, verse 1. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, Who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises? Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. For it is not as though the word of God is fell, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's fleshly descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be made, named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh. Remember, the children of the flesh persecuted, right? Who are the children of God, but the children of promise are regarded as descendants. You see that? Turn to one more place, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because again, God does not hate the Jews. God wants them to be saved, right? Paul's heart, and he had anguish because they were, they were, Refusing to accept Jesus as their Messiah, and First Corinthians one verse eighteen, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God. The world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. In other words, the Jews, by their works, by all their um, ceremonial law, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the pre- message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles' foolishness. We're all in the same boat, right? Before we come to Jesus, we're all sinners in need of grace. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. And we all come together to the foot of the cross. He says, uh, but to those in verse 24 who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see that? So God's heart is for everyone to be saved. Again, God sent his son into the world that all People should be saved. Okay, God is not excluding anyone; He's including all who will call upon the name of the Lord. He has not chosen a few people to be saved and everyone else to be damned. He has chosen that all would be saved. And and again, in a couple weeks, hopefully, we'll be looking at that. And in next week, we're going to be talk We're going to be looking at Pharaoh, and you know how the Bible talks about how God hardened his his heart and all that kind of stuff um did god arbitrarily just harden pharaoh's heart or was there something behind it okay so um hopefully this has blessed you um again guys i i really think that um and again please listen to all of these and then listen to them in order okay because um I think that if this is one of those subjects that if you pick it up in the middle, it's going to at least be harder for you to understand. Okay, so I pray that God will bless you. I pray that um, his words will be life to you. I pray that um, you won't look at this scripture through your previous biases, but that you'll look at the scripture and take the scriptures one at a time and see what he's truly saying. All right. So God bless you guys. Um hopefully we'll post this soon and again hopefully we'll be talking to you to you soon, okay? God bless.